1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 to 4. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, thank you, Queenie. Uh, before I invite our guest speaker up, um, I just want to say today, uh, happy July. It's already, the summer is upon us. So we're starting a new sermon series uh, that's going to take us from July all the way through to August, and we're calling it Living Life As, which is a series on all sorts of relationships. So today, Pastor Bill is going to start off the series. He has honor, we have the honor of having him start off the series uh, on friendship. And next week, we're going to be talking about all sorts of relationships. So singleness, marriage, dating, uh, sexuality, uh, all the good topics. Uh, we're going to go through that for the rest of the summer, and that should take us till September. So uh, I want to invite Pastor Bill to come on up. Uh, he's been with Union Gospel Mission for 25 years, um, at least, uh, 25 years, uh, out at, uh, out at uh, New Westminster, and I've had the privilege of, of being under his pastoral care and uh, ministry for many more years, so I'm thankful that you're able to come to share um, God's Word with us this morning. Yeah, let's give a very warm welcome uh, to Pastor Bill. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here at Lord's Love Church. It's uh, been a little while, but I'm glad to be here. And I appreciate the parking space hidden succinctly in the back of the building. Even my name was on the wall. I was kind of going, whoa. And I thought, maybe I own the property now. I'm not sure, but... Pretty, pretty cool, yeah. And then when I came in, I was given a, an invitation after invitation by a number of people. One particular sister, she was very, very persistent. She says, we're having cake downstairs. So I thought, you're having cake downstairs. And she kept saying, would you like some cake? And I said, well, uh, I like cake, but uh, I was at a wedding reception yesterday, and I kind of uh, literally pigged out over there, and I didn't feel good conscience to be eating more stuff like that. But um, then she came again. And then she even brought a piece and showed it to me. And I thought, whoa, this girl is committed to cake. And she wants me to eat cake. And so as we were praying, I had to ask Pastor Doug. I said, is this the new communion that you offer here at Lord's Love Church because I'll be here once a month. I'll be here every first Sunday of the month. We have communion because you have cake. But uh, <clears throat> no, it's not true that we're having that for communion. But that's okay. I don't. It certainly brought you all here together in communion downstairs for a little while, didn't it? <laughs> so it, it works, Doug. It works, Pastor Doug. It works. So it's all good. Well, I'm just feeling at home today, and I was just standing there and I had my notes in front of me, and I thought. You know, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. So I said to Jesus, you're the one that's going to give this sermon. I said, he should always. I just get to come and, and stand here and try to tell you what he's telling me. And it was funny because I have this, uh, in my car, I have this car now that you all have. They have these 
miniature monitors on the, your, your car and, and then your Bluetooth is now hooked up to the radio and so if you want to listen to music, you have to have your phone and, and I thought to myself, wow, you know, this is... And then, of course, the song came on in one of the, uh, the downloaded tracks I have, Closer Than a Brother. And I thought, well, how about that, Jesus? You know how it all comes together, I tell you, even before I get to the church. So, I tell you, it's uh, neat to be here. Now, let me just begin with a little bit of a story. Two men were out hunting, and they were hunting out in the northern part of the United States. And suddenly, uh, one of the men yelled, and the other looked up to see that a grizzly bear was kind of charging uh, down at them. And the first man started to frantically put on his tennis shoes. And his friend anxiously asked, what are you doing? Don't you know you can't outrun a grizzly bear? I don't have to outrun a grizzly. I just have to outrun you. Aren't you glad we don't have a Heavenly Father with a friendship like that? It's so true. How many friends do you have? Like, how many friends do you actually have? I'm not talking about acquaintances. i got a kajillion acquaintances. Auntie Jean, who's my wife, said to me one day, she says, you know, you don't have a lot of friends, do you? I said, oh, I don't know. What do you mean by that? She says, well, you do have friends. You have millions of acquaintances, to exaggerate that. But we're not talking about casual acquaintances. I'm grateful for all the people in my life. And you're, you're part of that wonderful group of selected people that are in my life. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I'm talking about friends that have a little bit more of a relationship than just saying, hi, how are you keeping, what are you doing? I'm talking about people that are what we call intimate friends. They're people that are close to your heart. They're people that you can talk to uh, them about anything that you feel safe to share. Most of us don't have that many. And I was talking to a young man yesterday. I decided to take him out for breakfast. I don't know him very well, but I thought, you know, I, uh, I've, I've, I've met with him and seen him. And uh, so I took him out to my favorite office, Denny's, you know, in Walnut Grove. I love Denny's. IHOP comes pretty close to the second. And White Spot occasionally is the third one. If, if you're a man of status or woman of status, I'll take you to White Spot. Anyways, so... I took him to Denny's, and we sat there, and of course, on the long weekend, Denny's is packed. Usually it isn't, but it's packed, and so all these people are sitting there, you know, omelets are flying, pancakes are over here, and I'm sitting with this young man, he's about, oh, 30-some-odd years old, and uh, I've been very curious to meet with him for a lot of months already, and finally, I fulfilled a requirement that God reminded me, if you're going to say you're going to do something, do it, so I said, I took him out, so we sat down, and... and uh, I knew one thing, that if I don't keep talking, it's going to be a very short breakfast. So I had a whole host of questions. I'm a certified leadership coach, so I should be able to ask a kajillion questions. So I started to start, and we started from everything from sunshine to the fact that he plays softball, and, and it kept going and going, and then we, I decided to really go for the jugular. I started asking these deeper questions, you know. What do you plan to do with your life? Like, do you have goals? And he says, I don't understand the question. I said, wait, Jesus, it's going to be one of these mornings. 
So I, I, I said to him again, I said, do you feel uh, from your friends, the acquaintances you have, do you feel supported and cared for? I don't understand the question. And as I kept asking these really deep-seated questions, I started to realize he has no relationship with anybody. And you know what's really scary? I, I meet people like this when I work at UGM, and that's their story. Most of them are very beat up and whatnot. But I'm here, I'm sitting with a young man. He's from a very successful family. He's got three sisters and a, a very strong-willed <clears throat> mother. And anyways, and so I'm really learning that here he is, the youngest. He's the only guy in the family. And now he's now telling me he doesn't understand. The question. So what he does is, ooh, this guy's sharp. He flipped it on me. He said, well, Bill, tell me a little bit about your background. I said, okay, I get the gig here. Now it's not about him. It's about me. And so I gave him my life story. <laughs> and he, it lasted very short because I knew he couldn't handle it because he's not used to talking and being with people. So and one like me, too. So we continually went through our omelets and whatever else. He was eating pancakes, and, and uh, he kept looking at his watch, and I'm getting the message. He's ready to run. Now, what I'm saying all this for you is to say to you that people are people who need to be seen. They need to be valued. They need to know that when you're with them, they are counted. And as Christians and as a church, our job isn't to be a theological monster to beat up on people to tell them what they don't know about God. Our job is not to make people feel crappy because you made them feel so bad because you're just a little bit better than they are. Your job is to make it easier for them to see Jesus. And I don't find churches doing that a lot some days. They make it tougher for people to see Jesus. We Christians sometimes do that. I do that because I think I'm better than they are. I think I have the answer. I think I've got a foot up on them. The writer of the book of Proverbs says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother in Proverbs chapter 18. Have you ever had a friend who stuck closer than a brother to you? I've had two or maybe three in my lifetime. Such a friendship is rare. It's a rare gift from God. It's pure. It's pure grace. It's not earned or deserved. And Jesus made a life-changing offer of friendship to his disciples when he said in Matthew, 10, Matthew chapter 10, 1 day, verse 40, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, which in turn welcomes his Father who sent him as well. For anyone who would open their house or even give a cup of cold water to one of his disciples, Jesus assured them a place in the heart of God. Did you hear that? For anyone who makes it possible, provides a cup of water, meets the need, you've opened the door for them to have a place in God's heart. 
I didn't say they're going to be converted. I didn't say they were going to come to your church. But you open the door to allowing them to see Jesus. That's why at Union Gospel Mission, every day 200 people get a meal. Not because we feel that's what we do and that Jesus is happy with us. He is. But it's the beginning of opening a door. You have to find a place where it levels off. They can't just lure them into this building and then hope that they're going to get spiritualized. Believe you me, that doesn't work. Because they're looking for what? They're looking for a friend. They're looking for a friend. We have had gone through COVID and people have been so disconnected. What do I hear all the time? Pastor Bill, we're looking forward to going back to church because we've been so disconnected for two years. Two full years have we had this disconnect. I am tired of being a Zoom zombie, by the way. I don't like preaching through Zoom. I love seeing the wonderful faces all in little small squares smiling at me. But I'm tired of saying to pastors, when I speak, you don't now all of a sudden turn your cameras off. I don't want to do that. I need to see them too. Did they ever, did they ever think about me? I want to see them too. I need to see the energy. I need to feel the smiles or the chagrins or even the Big Mac that guy's holding while he's eating lunch while I'm Zooming with him. I, I want to see that. Because I need people in my life, even as a pastor, I need people in my life because we need relationships. Well, here's a few things I want to share with you. I always look at that big clock. I always know those churches have big clocks. You ever notice at the back of a church? They don't buy small clocks. They buy big ones. And I know why. Because they're a big clock to tell the small pastor, get on with it. Okay, so here we go. The sermon, we've, uh, the passage that was read by Queenie, uh, there's a, there's a number of passages I want to visit, but we're not going to dwell on them long because I just want to make points with them, okay? In 1 Samuel 18, verse 1 to 4, we have a picture of a, a two people, David and Jonathan, good buddies. It's only moments that after that David has uh, taken out the big goober, Goliath, right? And as he's done that, he takes the giant's uh, head, severed head, in to show King Saul. It's kind of like a trophy, but I wouldn't advise you to go around decapitating people to show your favorite person. But anyways, while celebration, while celebration is cheering on, the Philistines got a kick in the rear end, and guess what? David, he's the man, right? He's the man. David is the man of the hour, the year, the decade, the, decade, the century. He's, he's David, you know? He's the, he's the guy, you know? Uh, but no one has ever done what David has done. Good on him. But then we read that after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and loved him as himself. It will help to know a couple of facts behind that little statement. First, Jonathan is the son of a king named Saul, which means he is next in line for the throne of Israel. Secondly, Jonathan is himself a brave warrior. He had proved it in the battle of Michmash some months ago earlier when he also fought the Philistines. In fact, killing Philistines was his favorite outdoor sport. <laughs> yeah, okay, good on you, John. Uh, thirdly, Jonathan had witnessed the mighty victory David won over Goliath. No doubt that explains why his friendship was born. Jonathan saw in David a very common spirit. Do you have a common spirit with this community? Ooh. I asked pastors today in churches. That's probably why I don't get asked again. But anyways, they ask, I always ask, do the people that... Your church building is located in, do they know who you are? Like, do they have any idea what you do here? 
Do you have any idea that I'm here? And I'm not saying anything except for the fact that I'm, at least you put the sign on the wall telling them that I'm here by my car. But my point is, do, do people, we talk about the 30th anniversary of a church, those 38 years, what, does the, what do the people in Fraser, 38, uh, Fraser 47 think about Lord's Love Church? Now, I'm not throwing guilt at you. I'm just asking a question. That's, I, that's what I always do now. I just ask questions. I leave it up to God to tell you the rest. But what do they know about Lord's Love Church? Do they know you care? Or do you care? Do, you, do they know that you would like to, to just have a word with them, talk to them, ask them questions, or just say, hey, it's good to see you. Have you done a prayer walk where you can walk around as a group, small group, small groups, and just say hi to people on Fraser Street? That'd be cool, walking around. When's the last time someone out there heard someone greet them? You don't know that. But God may want you just to go out there, prayer walk, and just engage with the community. You don't got to bring them in here with a chain and nylon rope and convert them, because you won't work, because you can't convert anybody. But you can love them. You can let them know that in this neighborhood there are people that care. We call it friendship. It's friendship on different levels, but it's friendship. You know that when you got married, some of you who got married, you exercise friendship at the ultimate level, that you're better or significant others. <laughs> Most people always say that when they see Auntie Jean, she's the better, <laughs> better half. But anyways, that, that is friendship. It begins at friendship. And as Pastor Doug leads you folks on a journey in relationship series, you're going to learn pretty quickly about how important friendship is to your marriage. We did a, I officiated a wedding yesterday, and I was so pleased to know that the people I married, they have a real friendship. That's where it begins. It doesn't begin in feeling warm and fuzzy and that the world is going to spin around you. That is this byproduct of your relationship. But friendship is the beginning of everything. Because if you don't know how to become a friend, you're not going to become a good friend to your wife or husband or anybody else for that matter. But so often, we, over, we, jump, we, we hopscotch over friendship because we don't see friendship as a big deal. It's kind of like a starter, but we never see it as a finisher. My wife and I, and, I, and, 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 and my wife, Auntie Jean, should get a medal, by the way. We're celebrating our 40th anniversary, Lord willing, in two months. Yep. I wish my wife was here. She would have appreciated the applause for her. I, I, I swear to you, I think I've given her a reason every one of those 40 years at some point maybe to have considered leaving me. And I wouldn't have blamed her, frankly. But thank goodness that's not going to happen, I don't think. We're going to go on a cruise. We're going to go to Alaska. We're going to hang out. Eat food. <laughs> We're going to be together, and I'm glad I'm going to be spending it with my best friend. There's more to it than that, though. Jonathan became one in spirit with David, but that's really not a very good translation when you read that sometimes because it happens that the King James Version is more accurate when it says, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. I love that. It's not about just hanging out as two buddies by, you know, 7-Eleven. It's about the soul. It's about meshing. Oh, you know... When I come to this building, and I've been coming in and out of it for a few years, I think probably 
I've been around for at least 20 of them, <laughs> of the 38 years, you know, you might say. I've always felt my soul has been kindred here. But you've had good pastors here. And some of you are still here, and you don't realize what you do and how you've impacted my life. But the second thing, so the first thing is about commitment. That's my first point, commitment. The second thing I want to share with you is found in uh, the text of 1 Samuel chapter 19. Queenie didn't read that, and I didn't want her to read it because we get into a lot of reading instead of just looking at this text. You can read. I don't have to teach you how to do that. So you can go home and you can tear apart these wonderful verses and get what you need to get out of them. But what I want to encourage is, secondly, is there is a commitment. As, as friends, there's also protection. Protection. In this text, we see another little picture. Between the first passage and this text is the account of Saul exploding in jealousy. And it was fueled by the fact that, oh, there were always people that were always making a big deal about who was better than somebody else. <clears throat> That's okay. I'm sure the intention was good. The scriptures say, Saul has slain his thousands, <laughs> but David is tens of thousands. You know, Saul, good for you, buddy, but David, hey, he's the man. You know, boy, he's the guy. Now, Friends got to be careful, you know. There's always going to be something a little bit better than somebody else. And, but in true friendship, we don't keep score. But, you know, Saul had made him paranoid. Turned him into a killer. Six times, no less, he tried to take David out to kill him. Nice guy. But that puts Jonathan in a difficult position because a papa barrier is trying to take out his best friend. Now, can you figure that one out? That's, that's kind of tough, you know? Like, think about your best friend, if you have a best friend, that maybe your dad or mom don't like him, so they gotta, they got to take him out. <laughs> and there are six attempts, at least, that we are aware of. Saul told his son Jonathan in chapter 19, verse 1 to 3, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants, uh, you know, Saul's not discreet. He tells everybody to kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Now the passage goes on to tell how Jonathan spoke up to his father Saul. Saul in, yeah, he spoke to his father Saul in David's defense and pointed out that David had done nothing wrong. And in fact, saved Israel by killing Goliath. You see, Saul now, being jealous, misses the whole issue. He's forgotten that he actually sanctioned David to go and take out the big goober, Goliath. He forgot all about that. He forgot about the fact that he had something to do with this whole neat thing that's come about. But Saul, he's too much within himself. He can't see beyond himself. And so he's now getting ticked off because everyone loves David. Well, you know, yeah, he, did, he did do a big thing, you know, and that's pretty cool. We should celebrate that. But he also told his father that if he killed David, innocent blood would be on his hands. Yeah, of course. Now here's Jonathan, gutsy, it's a courageous thing to do. He didn't have to do it, but he did it because he wanted to. He didn't do it because he had to. He did it because he wanted to because he was David's best buddy. 
What does it mean to protect your friends? Number one, it means you aren't ashamed to stand by them when things get rough. We all have our share of fair-weather friends whose major talent is disappearing when the hard times come. But the scriptures tell us a friend loves at all times, does it not? And a brother is born for adversity. Have you ever thought about that? It's kind of an oxymoron, you know? A friend loves at all times, but then he's also, the friend is born for adversity. Now, what does that mean? I mean, the word adversity is kind of like, ooh, trial, challenge. It's kind of opposites, right? Loves at all times, born for adversity. My true friends love me at all times, and they do so because they're willing to tell me when I mess up. They're okay to say, Bill, you shouldn't have done that. We love you, but maybe you shouldn't have said that to him or her. I appreciate people that hold me accountable. I get away with a lot of stuff, but there's certain friends that don't let me get away with nothing. They say, are you kidding me? You did that? Like, why did you do that? Uh, 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 Because I'm stupid. (laughs) Okay, good. Now you get it, you know? I get, but I'm the winner because I have friends that truly love me and make me take ownership for the stuff that I do. Do you have that kind of friend? I, 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 I don't know what I'd do without people, you know? I meet with uh, uh, Pastor Doug and Pastor Howard and a whole group of pastors once a month, <laughs> if they want to show up, <laughs> but we call it a pastor's forum. Now, when I meet with these lovely pastors, the door's open, because I take my liberties and sometimes saying to someone like your pastor, well, you know, Doug, have you ever thought about doing this, doing this and changing this? Or if I say, I can say this to another pastor, but it's open season for me too, because they can, I've always told them, if I screw up, you tell me. You got an open door to tell me, because I need you to help me be better so I can help you. Are you open to that? It's quite a commitment, doesn't it, eh? Biblical friendship begins with a commitment, but it also involves protection. The second thing about protecting your friends is it means you go out of your way to get your friends out of the jam they're in. So that means covering for them, you cover for them, as long as, the, as, long as what you're covering for is legal <laughs> and is proper. So that means speaking up for them, then that's what you do. I can share with you without details that in my 45 years of ministry that I've had the blessing of good men in my life who were courageous enough to help me when I needed it most. I can tell you that some of the things that I encountered and did in my experience, um, they were very honorable. I'll, I'll tell you something about this, where your church is. None of you will know this. Now you will. <laughs> A long time ago, it's not like a star of Star Wars. A long time ago, I should have that thing going. <laughs> but anyways, I was one of the members of the biggest street bang- gangs in Vancouver. This is where I hung out. This is where I did all my wonderful angelic things that I did for life, harassing people, stealing from them, beating up on people. I'm not proud of it. But part of my history before I met Jesus, was I went. I was part of this gang that roamed through the Fraser. This is where I used to live, actually. It's Mary's and Fraser. 
and this whole area has changed a lot. It was my area and my feeding ground for doing what I thought was good, being part of a gang. But, you know, when, I, when God brought really uh, good men into my life, good friends, they protected me. They spoke up for me. They even defended me and gave me an opportunity for a second chance. These were men that God sent into my life. They were men that cared about me. They became my friends. They didn't preach at me. They became my friends, and by their own examples, they showed me how to live a life that was worth living, and that whole example led me to a saving knowledge of Jesus at the age of 15. That's what you get to do. That's what you get to do for Jesus, is to befriend strangers that don't have direction, that are hurting, and all sometimes they need, they need to do is care. Let them care. You care for them. Don't tell me how much you care about the world. Show me how much you care. The third thing is risk. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, and of course that's the whole chapter, we're not going to talk about, we're not going to read that, but the third picture comes in chapter 20, where we see the quality of risk, which is simply a step beyond protection. It means going out on a limb so far that if you don't rescue your friend, you are both going to fall together. There's going to be suffering on both sides. So this is what love, to me, is a lot. The men that invested in my life took a risk. Just like we see here, David is now convinced that Saul is never going to change his mind because Saul is obsessed with taking him out. Within hours, he has to leave Saul's court forever and is about to become public enemy number one. But before he leaves, Jonathan wants to try one more time to kind of reconcile and patch things up with the king. So they cook up an ingenious plan. If it has to do with setting up a test to see if Saul will react to David's absence during and before the new moon festival that they have. This is all for Jonathan's sake. This is all about Jonathan's interest. David knows how Saul is going to react, but he has to convince his dear friend Jonathan. So this is the plan. Here how, here's how it's going to work. Jonathan was at the new moon festival with his papa, Saul. David would go out into a field, hide near a pile of stones called Ezel. Then Jonathan would come out with a young lad and shoot three arrows near the pile of stones where David is hiding. When the boy went to pick up the arrows, Jonathan would either say, excuse me, the arrows are near you, and if he said that the arrows are near you, that would mean David was safe. But if he said, the arrows are beyond you, that would mean David was in danger and must run for his life. When Jonathan went in to see his father, of course, after that plan went into place, Saul went, went ballistic. Everything blew up in Jonathan's face. Verse 30, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and the shame of the mother who bore you? He said to his son, you make me sick. I wish you had never been born. Verse 33 says, Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan is pretty observant. If I, my dad threw a sword at me or a spear, I would figure that he's going to kill me. Wouldn't you think? It's, it's kind of it's simple, right? But that just kind of reveals the anger and the obsession that had taken over even his dad. 
that his dad was no longer reasonable, no longer compassionate, or even had the ability. The next morning, Jonathan goes out with the little boy. They shoot the three arrows, and the, the lad who goes out by the pile of stones cries out, Isn't the arrow beyond you? And then he added, Hurry, go quickly, don't stop. So David now knows Saul's not interested in reconciling, and boom, off they go. David's on the run. The boy goes back into town. David was supposed to leave, but he couldn't leave Jonathan just like that. The Bible says that David bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. The Bible adds that David swept, that David wept. Why? Because he recognized what Jonathan had done for him. He had risked his life to save him. And he had done it gladly without complaint. Because that's what friends do for each other. What does the Bible say about this? That greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. The last thing I want to share with you, encouragement. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 15 to 18, there's a last picture and a glimpse of David and Jonathan. And it's found in these words in 1 Samuel. Some time has passed now, months, perhaps years. David is long gone from Saul's court and kingdom. He's nothing more now than a bandit, a fugitive, a man on the run, and a hunted animal. He has come to one of the most desolate places in all of Israel. It's the wilderness of Ziph. We call it the Negev Desert now. David wanders from place to place, running, hiding, always looking over his shoulder because he's a fugitive. He is tired, he's scared, and he's frustrated. Saul and his men persistently keep chasing after him. In friendship, when you take risks, when you put it on the line, sometimes for another person, the evil one will also continually pursue you. He'll find every which way to tell you this isn't worth it. He'll do everything he can to break your spirit. We must never take Satan for granted because he's like a roaring lion seeking to devour. We read that in the scripture, do we not? David's been down so long He's now seeing rock bottom. Have you ever felt that way? You've done some good things. You put it on the line. Where's God? I've been there a few times in my life. The victory over Goliath is just a dim memory. You know, all the neat things that happened, you don't even remember because you're focused on what is not happening. Where's God when I need him? Ever asked that? Has he gone to sleep? Has he left me? Doesn't he know what I'm going through? I mean, come on, Jesus. If you want to know what David's thinking, then take time to read Psalm 54. He wrote that in the wilderness of Ziph. Now, just at the moment of crisis, Jonathan shows up. How he got wind of where David was, we're not really sure, but we don't know. But what we do know is that, again, David was able to slip past Saul's army, and uh, again, Jonathan shows up. A friend shows up when he's needed the most, not when it's convenient. We uh, live in a world that praises convenience. If it's easy, I'll follow through. If I can push a button, sorry for you IT people, but if you push a button, certain things can happen. Me and the computer, if I push a button, things do happen, but they're not encouraging. My daughter has, my daughter, my daughter always says, Dad, you know how to use a computer? Well, kind of. 
she says, I have the exact solution for you. Don't touch the keyboard. You'll be fine. But anyways, that's encouragement to my daughter. Anyways, but we understand that this is the final kind of quality of biblical friendship that I hope will create, out of these four, will create you and a desire to understand what Pastor Doug is going to lead you in the series of relationship. Let me just finish here. Yay. <laughs> uh, see how Jonathan does in terms of encouraging David. First, he says, my father will never lay a hand on you. That's a commitment there for him. Second, you will someday be king of Israel. There's another encouragement. Thirdly, I will serve by your side. Fourth, even my father knows this is true. What a man, what faith in God. Jonathan has risked his whole life to help David become successful. That was the last time David ever saw Jonathan alive. He never met again. Jonathan would later die by his father's side fighting the Philistines on Mount Gilbo. Let me just finish with this one, one thing. A, Brit a British publication once offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. Among the thousands of answers received were the following. One who multiplies joys, divides grief, and whose honesty is inviolable. Another definition was one who understands our silence. Another one was a volume of sympathy bound in cloth. Another one was a watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. The winning definition that was submitted says this. A friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. I don't stand before you because I have education, because I know the Bible, because I'm supposed to be viewed as someone that's wise. I may not be a wise man, but sometimes many people will say I'm a wise guy. <laughs> but you know, I stand before you as a testimony of the friendships that have been around me all my life, I would never have been able to get from A to B without sitting down with someone who, over breakfast who said, you know, Bill, I think you're valuable. I think God has a, has a reason for you to be doing what you're doing. And this was something that was said to me nearly 40 years ago. And, and I, at that time, I didn't even believe him then as well. And my mentor has passed away just last year. I, 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 I'm, I've missed him dearly because he's gone. But one thing that I heard at his funeral was simply this. And God was saying to me, Bill, it's your turn to protect his legacy, but it's your turn to be a friend, a real friend. And I'm so pleased that your pastors here have given me permission to be that. For a long time, it hasn't just been recently. They, Doug and Howard and all the rest of the fine men and women that have led this church, they've given me permission to hang around and just be with them. And uh, I find that being a friend is a very special way of telling people about Jesus. Because if you remember John chapter 15, he said, I don't call you slaves. I call you friends. Let's pray. Father, we are in days of chaos, and we are in days of disconnect, and we are in days of trouble, but 
These are days that are exciting because the greatest need for us to share you is to be able to become people who come alongside others to give others value and to tell them as a friend about Jesus Christ. We don't convert people. We don't change them. Thank the Lord. You, did, you get to do all that. All you ask is for us to come alongside and care. It could be a family member. It could be someone on the street here in Fraser Street. It doesn't matter. Someone at work. God, help us to care enough to be a friend. May it be so in Jesus' name.